Have you taken a moment ever to think about all the decisions you've made to get where you are today? You know, I was looking this up because I was curious. How many decisions do we make typically? And the best study I saw said that it's estimated that the average adult makes 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. 35,000. And like, I went back and I looked at the study because I, probably like you, was like, listen, I have a hard time making five decisions any day, let alone 35,000, but it's true. That's compared to 3,000 for children. So if you ever wonder why you do not have near the energy that the kids around you do, it's because you're having to make 32,000 more decisions than they are. Just remind them of that when they start to be like, why can't we go anywhere, mom and dad? It's because I'm making 10 times the decisions you are. You know, and that includes, interestingly enough, I rounded this, but 227 decisions just on food alone each and every day. The study said 226.7, but I'm trying to figure out how one would make 70% of a decision uh, about food. Eat three quarters of it and then be done with it, I guess. I don't know. Those millions and millions and millions of decisions, no matter how minute or significant, shape us. In so many ways, we are the product of billions of decisions made by us and made by others, and it all draws us here to this moment. And when we reflect on these, I don't know about you, I think we think about our best decisions. I think about Mary and Lindsay and having kids and coming here, um, great decisions I've made over the last decade. We also reflect on some of our worst, and it seems like we can perseverate with the latter over the former. It reminds me, I remember a couple months ago, I'd mentioned T.S. Eliot's uh, love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, and he says there in that poem about a third of the way through, there'll be time for you and me, and time yet for a hundred indecisions, and for a hundred visions and revisions before taking of toast and tea. Yes, we are products of all of our decisions, but sometimes, gosh, we spend so much time focusing on the ones that were like, man, I wish I had made that decision. The study that said, you know, you you make all these decisions also says that we probably regret 18% of the decisions that we make, which feels like a pretty good ratio, but, you know, we tend to focus on that 18%. And this is also a problem that often we as people who have spent our lives in the church have to wrestle with. We hear about our sinfulness all the time. We confess here weekly. And I remember growing up when I was a teenager, fearful of going to hell because I might have back-talked my parents or something. That if I I looked crosswise, you know, maybe my fire insurance wasn't up to snuff at the time. And this wasn't my parents' fault, nor really was it my grandfather who was my pastor's fault either. It's just simply the reality of a teenage mind as it wrestles with hearing about hell and sin and brokenness. That perspective weaves its way into your heart. 
But conversely, there can be a tendency to believe that every decision that we've made has been the right one, almost as if we have made our own luck and haven't been bound by the effects of all those 35,000 decisions that I've made and you've made and the neighbor across the street made and the one decision that person made to cut you off in traffic this morning that sets off another thousand set of decisions that you make. Or we might think that God has granted us a specific gift after all of those decisions we've made. It's almost a quiet and non-exciting prosperity gospel. Now look how this text unfolds. And you'll see decisions are everywhere. Look at all of the decisions here in Luke in this small, simple story about the call of some of the disciples to join Jesus. The first thing that they did is they were willing to be supportive of Jesus and his apparently successful teaching. We see that things were so busy in the crowd that was around Jesus that they were pressing in on him. And in order to actually continue to do his teaching, he had to get into somebody's boat. Now listen, if somebody just got into my car one day and said, Adam, I've got to do some teaching, do you mind going down Hendricks a little bit because I need some space? I'd say get out of my car. So the fact that these folks in the first place were comfortable with the idea that this Jesus teacher could be in the boat says something about the good decisions that they're making. And they listened to him, moreover, when they asked him to set the boat off the shore. So they were willing to be supportive of Jesus, but they were also willing to listen to a carpenter about the work of a fisherman. I can't imagine the exhaustion in Simon Peter's voice. They have been working hard. They made choices about where they would set their nets and they worked all night. And now it's morning and some carpenter from down the street is telling them, go cast your net over this direction. And I wonder, was he humoring Jesus at that point? <clears throat> yeah, I guess, dude, whatever. You're already on the boat. Uh, you're really doing the teaching thing. I don't see you much as a fisherman, but we'll go ahead and we'll toss the nets on the side and see what happens. And yet, what happens are there's so many fish that are caught that it nearly sinks the boat that Jesus is in and their buddy's boat. And what is the response of Simon Peter after this miraculous moment? He says to Jesus, he gets on his knees and says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He literally begs on his knees for Jesus to go away. If I got the jackpot, I'm probably not going to tell the dude who told me where to go to leave. What a striking response to miracle. Get away, for I am a sinful man. And it's also fascinating, I think, here to see Jesus' response. It's a response to fear. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 you're, you're not a sinful person, buddy. No, you, you haven't done anything wrong. Everything's okay. 
It also wasn't a, no, Simon, uh, if you feel that way, where'd those fish go? Fish still were there. Simon was still sinful. Instead, it was an acknowledgement that though, yes, Simon Peter may be a broken person, he has been chosen by Jesus to be a disciple. The sum of his life decisions do not foreclose him from the call of Jesus Christ. And additionally, it's not also a, well, let's take these gifts, go sell the fish, make lots of money, and relax. And when someone asks you about where you got this, be sure to give me a shout-out on the TV. Well, I, I, just, I just want to thank God for everything I've been given. I want to thank God for these miraculous fish we got one day. Now I'm living up in the hills of Jerusalem, and I feel really good, so... I'll praise Jesus Christ. Not just a shout out at the end of celebrating a lot of miracle. Instead, it's that this miracle demands a life-altering response. To drop the nets all together and follow him. And again, plenty of choices could be made here, right? It's, Jesus, I will come follow you once I get to market and sell all these. Jesus, I bet these are the sweetest fish that we will ever taste because they're your miracle fish. Let's have some dinner. I know a good recipe. Let's relax for a little bit before we go. Plenty of choices could have been made in this moment, but instead, the one that was chosen was action. The truth is, while I wish I could have made up that this lectionary passage just happened to stumble onto, I would have said, oh, this is brilliant, we'll use this for our Sunday congregational meeting day. I wish I had thought that much ahead, but the truth is, circumstantially, this might be one of the very best texts and parallels our life here and situation at South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. In another half hour or 45 minutes from now, in the congregational meeting, I am going to be able to report to you that right now we have a balanced budget going into 2022 with no cuts to any of the programs that this church is dreaming of doing going into next year. When was the last time that somebody in this pulpit could say that out loud to you? We are going to be able to do miraculous things over the next year. We're just getting warmed up, y'all. And this budget was the dream of a session when we sat together in our retreat and we asked ourselves, What are the things that we want to do? Don't worry about the budget right now. What do you want to do? What do you dream of doing in this church right now? And this congregation filled that budget. 
And that was after years of massive deficits that unfortunately led the decision to have to relieve ourselves of the majority of our property and all of the frustrations and difficulties that that caused. But we as a church may have felt like for many years we sat in the night with our nets out only to report that we believe we had caught nothing. But of course, dear friends, Jesus was with us Jesus was in the boat with us. Jesus was teaching. Jesus was inviting us to push out just a little bit deeper into the lake. And now in this moment in 2022, the nets are starting to look a little full. The question is today, as we think about where we're at and we approach our congregational meeting, what do we do now? Do we ask God to flee because of our brokenness? Do we find that this present moment is so unbelievable that we are ready to sit in our brokenness and let the nets go? Are we to get on our knees and beg Jesus to go away for we are sinful people? Because sometimes, dear friends, we can find comfort in empty nets because it was our routines, our efforts, and quietly starving on our own volition is less frightful than Jesus performing miracles right in front of us. We could do that. You know, these would be the parking lot conversations after church. The will... Seems like a lot of smoke and mirrors. This Anderson guy talks some big game. This session talks a lot of big game. Seems too good to be true. We cast our empty nets because we find ourselves too sinful for miracle. Or do we believe that this was really of our own doing? Do we give in to the temptation that it had nothing to do with Jesus performing miracles, but we hold ourselves responsible? Do we feel good that, yeah, we pledged this year, or we gave this year, we're doing good? And that really all we had to do was do like one prayer of Jabez, more, and then our land was going to be filled. And so somebody finally prayed that prayer, and then magic happened, and now all of a sudden we're okay. Or... Do we recognize that truly all these miracles are are just reminders to let go and to follow? That now, dear brothers and sisters, it is time to drop what we're holding on to, the nets that we had cast in empty places because we thought it was the right idea, and just start to do the work of ministry. That now, yes, we acknowledge our sin, but we aren't bound by its inertia, and we aren't bound by its comfort, but we trust truly that this congregation, this church, these people are called to continue to do the good work of Jesus Christ in Jacksonville, Florida. Do we believe that we are called like Isaiah did when he said, woe is me, and yet the seraph still said, you are called? Do we still feel called like Paul did, who acknowledges his own brokenness and his own imperfection, that he persecuted the church? But yet he still did a mighty work, because in spite of the brokenness, 
he did the work that Jesus called him to. This seems to be a consistent pattern in Scripture that should help us along our way. That broken people, broken situations, sinful moments can still be redeemed by a God who loves us enough and invites us into the work of ministry. So yeah, South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church has been shaped by millions and millions and millions and millions of decisions in its, in its lifetime. Some good, some bad, some indifferent. But we could stand here today at a moment when the nets are starting to feel extra full. Let's do what we can to see the miracle Jesus is performing in our midst. And let's choose today to follow him. Thanks be to God.